I did find that if they were told that the beer was a certified independent craft beer, according to Brewers Association, that they were willing to pay more for that beer under that circumstance. So there is a value attached to being the to uh, to being a craft beer. It's just not necessarily the case that an acquisition is going to decrease demand or an individual's willingness to pay. From ESPM 155 AC Studios in Berkeley, California, this is The Hoptastic Voyage, a show where we bring you a taste of the current craft beer industry. We're shaking up the yeast on craft breweries. Are their business models rich and full-bodied, or have they gone bad? Are they sustainable? Are their models replicable for other craft industries? So join us on this voyage to find out. We're your hosts, Byron, Jordan, Shane, and Ben. And on today's show, we hear from Jarrett Hart, who'll give us a look into craft brewery acquisitions and the future of the market. Cheers. You know that microbrewery you sometimes go to on the weekends for a refreshing glass of locally brewed beer? What if that same beer was acquired by a large corporation such as Miller Coors or a Heineken? Will you still feel the same way about that brewed beer you grew up drinking when you see it on the shelves of supermarkets across the country? Today, we're joined by Jared Hart as we explore his research on craft brewery acquisitions and the potential effect it could have on consumer preferences. Jared, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm Jared Hart. I'm a PhD candidate at University of California, Davis, and I'm in my fourth year, and my dissertation research solely focuses on the craft beer industry, looking at consumer preferences for local beer, as well as how consumers respond to brewery acquisitions. Great. Thank you for being here today, Jared. Thank you. Let's start off with how you got into this. Why did you start researching beer? I've always had an interest in beer. So growing up, my dad was a home brewer. So I've always kind of been around that. And uh, my older brother brewed as well. And when I was at Davis doing my uh, coursework before deciding my dissertation topic, we had the opportunity, you know, just do a research paper about whatever you want. And I was like, well, I'm interested in beer. I might as well do something about the hop market. Because that was an interesting thing. I was hearing a lot about shortages of hops for things like Cascade and other uh, aromatic hops that are just really in high demand. So I was looking at that, and also around this time was when Ballast Point sold for a billion dollars to Constellation Brands, which was absolutely insane. So I was talking to one of my professors about the acquisition uh, in beer in general, and he said that, that I should do my dissertation about something like that. And I didn't realize that was a possibility, and it sounded really cool. I was like, okay, I can do beer for my research. All right, I'm on board. And then from there, I just... Uh, started pursuing ways to research how people respond to acquisitions and how that might influence the market and demand for craft beer and kind of naturally happened, I guess. That's super cool to hear that your dad being a home brewer and that being the basis of your dissertation. He still does it. When I, so I'm from Minnesota. When I go home, get to try out some home brew and 
I usually bring some California beers with me and yeah, have a nice exchange. Let's talk a little bit about this beer that we got in front of us. It's a blended Saison and Jordan actually did some research on this beforehand. He tells me that it's two fermentations that are done separately and blended at the end. One is done in a little bit more of a sour beer style, where it is done partially with bacteria to produce those acids in the sour flavor, and the other one is more of a cold lager traditional style. Does it taste a little bit like wine to you? Yeah, so you might get that. It's probably, they probably use Britannomyces, which is a common thing used in sour beers, and it's also a common thing that's you find in wine that's not supposed to be there. So Britannomyces, it's, it's this strain of bacteria. It essentially, uh, it ruins wine by, make it can make it sour. It can make it, all, some of the other things you get from it are like barnyard, huh. nail polish, <laughs> things on those lines. But it's actually super popular to use in beer. It works a lot nicer and you can, uh, the thing is like uh, lots of wineries will, might have a small amount of, uh, bread in their wine and a small amount of it can actually like give it complexity and character make them the more the wine more interesting it's when you have too much in it that just completely overpowers the wine and make it makes it taste like garbage but yeah the, it's used in beer a lot uh, especially for sours a lot of times you'll see Britannomyces on the bottle for uh for a saison it's the most common that's usually when you see it I've seen like Britannomyces IPAs even though mm-hmm. so but yeah, I'm pr- I'm guessing that's what this is, because um, it's kind of got that uh, that barnyard taste. That it's kind of, it's it's rustic tasting. So is that something that is added on purpose as an ingredient, or is that something that naturally occurs? It's added on in purpose for beer. Okay. In wine, it's something that typically uh, there's more than one way you can get it. Uh, one of the biggest ways is it's in the oak barrels. So like new oak, you have your new barrel, and lots of times Britannomyces is in the barrel. And you don't know that when you're doing that, and you put the wine in the barrel, and then it spreads, and then you mix, you put that barrel in a tank, and you've cross-contaminated all of your wine. And that's been a, an occurrence that's happened quite a bit in the wine industry. Um, so that's not on purpose. And then there's a lot of measures that uh, wineries take to clean their barrels and eradicate Britannomyces because typically it's, it's unwanted. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's great for beer for whatever reason. So let's go into your research more specifically. Sure. So I have a, uh, a few things I could talk about. Um, so... I'm just going to get my computer back up because it's where I've got all my slides and stuff about my projects and my papers open as well. Um, So I have been looking at consumer preferences for local craft beer and consumer responses to brewery acquisitions. So this is the overarching theme of my dissertation. The first thing I did was I used ratebeer.com data, which so I scraped their website for ratings. So I ended up with about three and a half million reviews of beers, and I could use those beers to do uh, econometric analysis to see how consumers respond to an acquisition and to see if they're rating beers higher, for, if they're local, 
and to see if they rate them less, essentially, following an acquisition. So that was the first phase. The second phase was using uh, scanner data from Nielsen. So this is scanner. The scanner data is a grocery store sales of beer throughout the entire U.S. It covers about 50% of grocery stores throughout the country, and it also includes data from drug st- some drug stores, a few liquor stores, and mass merchandisers. So there's some other uh, types of stores in there. And then with that data, uh, what I was able to do was look at how price responsive uh, people are for local versus non-local beer. So looking at, that would be the elasticity of demand for, for beer. And so I looked at that as well as seeing how this elasticity of demand, how the price responsiveness changes following the acquisition of a brewery, as well as to see uh, if people are more or less price responsive for local beer, if they're willing to pay more for local beer uh, as it's reflected in the sales data. And then the very third part, which is what I'm currently working on, I just recently did an experiment at the University of Beer in Davis. Um, So it was a choice experiment in which individuals chose a beer from the tap list. Then they're provided with 10 other beers that are also on tap. And for each of those beers, I would ask them to say how much they're willing to pay for that beer. So they would be indifferent between either getting that one or their first choice. So this experiment I ran over the course of about four weeks, I spent a lot of time at the bar. And so... Four weeks and 60 beers later, I had my data set in which I could look at how do people, res- uh, how- what is the treatment effect uh, from giving people this information of whether or not a brewery is local. So essentially I was telling them where the brewery is from, also providing them information on if the brewery was a certified independent craft beer by the standards of Brewers Association or if it had been acquired by a large company like Heineken or Miller Coors. And so those are the three parts of uh, my dissertation, and nothing is 100% complete, but I mean, I definitely could uh, talk about either or all of those parts. And so if you have any questions, and if you want me to go into detail on something, I certainly would be happy to. I think it will be interesting to dive deeper into how customers actually reacted to the craft brewery acquisition. Yeah. So looking at the response to the acquisition, um, the easiest thing for me to do with my analysis, uh, the most clear evidence I had was from my ratings. So the ratings from Raid Beer, this is going to be reflecting the opinions of the beer nerd community, essentially. So the beer nerds, what I found very clearly was that there exists, first of all, a preference for local craft beer. They are rating beers that are local to them higher than they rate other craft beer. Following an acquisition, uh, there is a decrease in ratings. And this decrease in ratings of the beers was more pronounced in the local market for that brewery than it was anywhere else. And that decrease in the ratings was enough to completely offset the preference for local craft beer that existed prior to the acquisition. But it tastes still the same, right? It probably tastes the same. Some people might think it tastes different because it is true that if they're going to change 
production practices that the beer is not going to be entirely the same. So one case to point to is the acquisition of Goose Island by Anheuser-Busch in 2011. So they bought out Goose Island. A year later, they opened up a new brewery uh, production facility in, I think it was Colorado, and they tried to make the Goose Island beers. And so they tried to produce this IPA at a mass scale, and they just botched it. It was just awful. So, because the thing is, you can't produce the beer in the same exact methods at the small scale as the large scale. So, after they completely made a terrible beer, they had to keep going over and trying to reproduce it over and over again until they finally got it close enough to the original where most people probably couldn't tell a difference. And maybe it is exactly the same, maybe, but some people will insist that it's different. And so that could be why ratings are lower. Maybe the beer is slightly different. But for the most part, I think ratings are just going to be lower because people know it's acquired. And they uh, they just aren't as interested in the beer and they don't want to support the brewery if it's not a craft brewery. Thinking more toward the future, do you think there's going to be a lot of small craft breweries making an incredible product to the point where they're getting noticed by bigger breweries and eventually getting acquired? So I don't in general think that's going to happen for a few reasons. Um, one of the things is that the acquisitions are fairly well targeted. Okay. They're typically only uh, going after breweries who are already large and are distributing beyond like a local market. So in some sense, the beer needs to be proven that it can be successful beyond your your local crowds. And a lot of the times, the craft breweries that get a lot of attention are really small and they're producing some sort of unique beer that people go crazy about. And I don't think that type of uh, brewery will ever be the target of the acquisitions just because it's appealing to such a niche crowd, really. Um, but that being said, they can, maybe it's uh, a barrel aged sour with like raspberries or something like that, that some, the, the, this brewery does insanely well and everyone goes crazy about it. So they might, the company might not, uh, go after that brewery, but they might say, all right, here's this brewery, which is already fairly large that produces a variety of sours. Maybe something like Wicked Weed, which was acquired. Uh, I forget if it was Anheuser-Busch or Miller Coors. But uh, they were acquired. And they're already larger, and they were producing really nice sour beers. But, I mean, when they do that, they're probably going to be using whatever beers they think are going to be marketable on a larger scale than the the ones that people go crazy about. (laughs) So for the most part, no, I don't think it's just going to be acquisition after acquisition because a brewery needs to be large enough for it to be attractive to be acquired is the main thing. So stepping back to the research, how does it translate to the general population? The cool thing about uh, my study is that, yeah, okay, I'm finding this effect that people prefer this local beer and they respond negatively to acquisitions. But those are the beer nerds. How does this translate to the general population? Which is why it's so important to look at the sales data. And 
what I found from that is, well, mixed results. <laughs> so so um, I am, in general, finding a preference for local beer. And, what I'm, and the effect that I'm finding for that is that I'm finding that consumers are more elastic, so they're more price re uh, responsive for beer that is not local compared to beer that is local. So if the beer, if a six-pack goes, uh, goes up by a dollar, they're going to react more negatively to that price increase if it was a non-local beer than if it was a local beer. So that, that is an effect that I found. That's not the exact size. I, I'm not going to go into the detail about the size of the effect I found, but I do, I do find that. For the acquisitions, um, on the other hand, I am not really able to say anything conclusive from the sales data um, about how demand changes. I do find that the price responsiveness to, uh, result is the same, that people are more price responsive once the brewery has been acquired. But I don't really see any shifts in demand following the acquisition. And the reason for that, I believe, is because there's a lot of changes that happen um, on the supply side. So when the brewery is going to be acquired, they have this new distribution system. So they're going to be able to reach more stores, more markets. And even within a given store, they may have gone from having one spot on a shelf where they have six packs to maybe they have an entire shelf or an entire door in the, the fridge section. So because of those effects happening, I can't identify any change in demand because now there's a lot more people seeing the beer than did before. Um, so that's where things get tricky. And this is part of the reason why I did my experiment is because, well, I can't really identify how the average person thinks. So let's just, you know, talk to the average person who goes to a bar to get beer. Uh, I mean, granted, it is in Davis, California, and it's called the University of Beer, so maybe there's more craft drinkers than not. But uh, there, I still did have a, a fairly good mix of people. And in that study, I once again, I, I did not find that people are willing to pay less when they found out that uh, if they were given the information that the beer had been acquired by a large company. But I did find that if they were told that the beer was a certified independent craft beer, according to Brewers Association, that they were willing to pay more for that beer under that circumstance. So there is a value attached to being the to uh, to be in a craft beer, it's just not necessarily the case that an acquisition is going to decrease demand or an individual's willingness to pay. That said, um, looking at a small subset of the sample I got from that study, there is about 5% of people who very strongly cared about whether or not the beer has been acquired. So I think that kind of represents the beer nerd. So maybe... 5% of craft beer drinkers are beer nerds, and they really care about how the acquisitions. But everyone else, it doesn't really make too much of a difference, I think. That's really interesting. Looking at the preference for craft beer, we can almost see the craft beer market as an extension to the farm-to-fork or farm-to-table movement, and that localization of the agricultural goods. Yeah, that is definitely true. That's one of the big things that has allowed the success of the craft beer industry is because 
they're applying, to, they're appealing to a local market. So it's those uh, people who want to drink local. They want to support their community uh, that have really allowed craft breweries to be successful. Well, Jared, it's been great talking with you. Thank you for coming out here and taking the time to share with us your research on craft beers. Yeah, I'm Jared. Thank you for having me. Our show today was produced by myself, Ben Ye, Byron Lowe, Jordan Sushar, Shane Wright, music help from Ben Tiso of Ben Sound. Get royalty-free music at bensound.com. A special thanks to Professor Kathy DeMaster and her team of incredible graduate student instructors, Adam Kalo, Aide Guzman, Marjana Peterson-Rockney, Myra Montenegro, Robert Parks, and Laura Driscoll. See you next episode on Fantastic Voyage.